Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. Each week, we'll be talking with real people with real stories about things they have not said or done or have said or done in their workplace that required bravery. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Ed Everts, and I'm the founder and president of Excellius Leadership Development. Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. I hope you'll listen to our past podcast conversations, and if you'd like to hear past episodes, go to BeBraveAtWork.com, subscribe to our podcasts, and learn some valuable lessons about bravery at work. My new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High-Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Success, is now available in paperback, on Kindle, and in audio at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and any online book retailer you prefer. Check out Drive Your Career today. Our podcast today is sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies. Based in Woburn, Massachusetts, Cabot Risk Strategies has created innovative and customized insurance strategies for individuals and families, businesses, nonprofits, commercial real estate, and public entities. Cabot's client base continues to expand both within the region and within the markets they serve. And if you are looking for customized insurance services and solutions, contact Cabot at 800-222-5963 or visit them for more information at cabotrisk.com. I'm really excited to welcome our next guest on Be Brave at Work. As an entrepreneur, Kurt Wilkin has experienced growing, scaling, and exiting high-growth companies, and now devotes his time to helping business leaders unlock their own success. His responsibilities include strategic client consultation, client satisfaction, recruiting, and practice development. His success as an entrepreneur stems from his ability to build long-term relationships with clients, attract a loyal team of dedicated leaders and associates, and consistently deliver on commitments. Prior to founding Hire Better, Kurt founded and led the Controller Group, a professional services firm focused on accounting, technology, recruiting, which was acquired by Tatum in 2006. Kurt, we are so thrilled to have you with us today on Be Brave at Work. And I'm excited to be here. I love what you guys are doing to help people really be brave at work. Well, we're doing the best that we can to provide ideas and recommendations to people to say what they need to say and do what they need to do in the moment, rather than think about it years later and say, gosh, I wish I had said something and didn't. And Kurt, I did a light bio of you, and I'm just wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about your background and how you have come to do what you're currently doing today. You know, uh, out of college, I was a accounting graduate and I became a CPA, worked for Ernst & Young, which is one of the big accounting firms, but I realized very quickly, I'm not a very good accountant and that <laughs> leads to a short career. So I ended up starting my own firm uh, back in early 2000 called The Controller Group. You mentioned it was sold, had a really nice run to about 100 employees and 20 million or so in revenue. And once I left there, I realized I was unemployable. So I bought Hire Better, gosh, it's 11 years ago now, which is a recruiting firm. And we believe that the recruiting industry is broken. So what we do is we help bring a different approach to recruiting, working with entrepreneurs to help them take their company from scrappy startup to the next level, which is really typically professionalizing their team. So that's most of what I do now is spending time with an entrepreneur, what I like to say on the proverbial couch, helping him or her through a leadership transition or some people problem leading to what that next team might look like. Well, fantastic. And if we have time today on our podcast conversation, I also believe the recruitment uh, world is broken. 
both as a former client and as a former human resources leader. So perhaps we'll talk a little bit about that. And I forgot to mention that you have also recently authored a book called Who's Your Mike? A No Bullshit Guide to the People You'll Meet on Your Entrepreneurial Journey. Tell us just quickly what that book is about and why you wrote it. Yeah, I wrote it because I felt like many entrepreneurs needed to know that growing a company is not just by adding bodies. Oftentimes, it's assessing your existing legacy team. And so I've got countless stories that were resonated with people like you in a one-to-one situation, but I've decided to make it a one-to-many. So writing a book and doing things like this podcast to get the word out there and let people know they're not alone. The book is mostly stories of other people's examples. So you can hopefully learn from their stories of missteps, their own mistakes and even successes. And my goal is for entrepreneurs to see their situation in these stories so they can make their own people decisions, which is some of the hardest things for us as entrepreneurs to do is make tough people decisions. Well, and I would tell you also as the author of a couple of books that the editors I've worked with tell me that, you know, writing something as a story about an actual person versus just telling the story as if you're the one who did it or know it is more effective, right? When you tell a story about there was a person and his name was Ed and here's what he did and here's what happened, right? Resonates with people way more than just talking about the concept of the topic yourself. And what's the title mean? So when you say, who's your mic, was there a mic in your life? Well, the uh, real answer is there's a mic in all of our lives. So the quick story is Mike was your fraternity brother in college. You guys were best buds and you did everything together. You trusted him with your life. When you started your business, he was right there with you, nights and weekends, working in your garage, doing all the back office administrative things that you don't like to do. And frankly, you probably suck at things like setting up your bank account, setting up your LLC, all those administrative things. And then as you became a real company, he quit his job and became your accountant and did all those things for you. And before you knew it, he's working 100 hour weeks you know, doing all those things for you that aren't biz dev or product related. So you reward his work effort by promoting him to controller and then ultimately CFO. And he doesn't know how to build a team. So he's never built a team, doesn't know how to delegate. You look up a couple of years later and you're doing 10 to 20 million in revenue. And Mike's swimming. He's so in over his head. It's crazy. And he's trying to negotiate a maybe a $10 million line of credit with the bank, maybe a merger agreement with your largest competitor. And he's just so overwhelmed. And the question is, who's your mic? Everybody's got a mic that they've outgrown, whether it's finance and accounting, like this one, sales, marketing, operations, whatever. We either have a mic, have had, or will have a mic. I think everybody has had a mic. And when I think back on my 25 years in corporate America, I think I stumbled across many mics or Michelles, if we want to be you know, gender specific. And this is such a fascinating area in respect to bravery at work, Kurt, when we think about you know, what do I do when I have somebody who is overcapacitated or beyond their competency level? And I think there was a time where we had something called the Peter Principle, where it said everybody reaches a point in time where they have reached their capabilities or capacities, and anything beyond that is over their head. And unfortunately, too often, people don't have the bravery to say, hey, Mike, let's talk for a little bit. I'm observing some things that I think are of a concern to me. Let's talk about it and see what we can do, etc." They don't want to do that. They don't want to have this conversation. They'd rather in some ways suffer than have a conversation with Mike. Do you talk about that 
in your book at all, Kurt? And you know, what are some thoughts or ideas that you might have that would be helpful for people? Yeah, that's exactly right, Ed. I think most entrepreneurs are too beholden to people who've been with us and, and who we're loyal to. So I think as a result, we're, most of us, and I'll, I'll say I am specifically, I'm a bad manager. And I'm also a bad hirer. That's not your question, but I think that's another uh, interesting tidbit for entrepreneurs. We all, we love people. We want to look at the bright side. So we're afraid or we don't want to have that challenging conversation with our mics of the world. And so, you know, we hold on to them too much, way too long. They know that they're in over their heads. They know that they're struggling and they almost welcome you to approach them and say, hey, man, let's let's do something about this. And I think that's where the bravery comes in is having that challenging conversation acknowledging that there's troubles and uh, you didn't mean you have to fire Mike. It just means that have those tough conversations. we got a whole litany of things we go through in the book about what you can do with Mike. And there's tw- uh, 11 other characters. So there's other uh, archetypes in the book that we could get into if you really want to geek out. We want to focus on bravery, but you know, you make a couple of great points. One is, you know, this word beholden, right? Because oftentimes as leaders, we do feel beholden to others who helped us get there who sacrificed to help us get there, right? There's all this baggage that they've brought with them that we feel like we share. And the last thing I'm going to go and do is tell this person that they're not effective or not doing a great job or being problematic as an employee. So, you know, I would ask our listeners to really think about, you know, is there someone that I feel beholden to who at the end of the day, I don't think is doing a great job, but because of our past experience, I feel like I owe them something or that I'm going to look the other way when they don't do, you know, what they're doing. And, you know, I'm just curious, you know, is that something that you see entrepreneurs doing all the time? It is. And that's one of the reasons the book has been resonating so much with entrepreneurs. The uh, The reality is you're showing more love and compassion for the Mikes and Michelles of the world when you have those conversations because it's such a relief because they feel it. They know they're in over their heads. Their teammates know that they're in over their heads. And usually the last person to really acknowledge it is the, the entrepreneur, the founder. So if you let Mike go, the whole rest of the team is like, what, what took you so long? So you, they never think you fired him too soon. But with Mike, you don't have to fire him. Maybe he's a really or she's a really good individual contributor that you can put in the accountant role. Maybe there's a possibility to be coached and over time can grow into that next level CFO. But what I don't want you to do as an entrepreneur is to have an entire leadership team of mics, because if you do, you're all learning this for the first time, even if you have coaches and you're going to learn a lot of lessons the hard way. Well, and I think you make a couple of additional great points, Kurt, which is the first being that if you have a mic who is underperforming, it's a two way street. You need to have a conversation with Mike about how they're doing and the challenges that they're facing, et cetera. But Mike could also be the one to come to you to say, hey, I think I'm over my head. I appreciate everything that you've done. I appreciate our relationship, but I don't think I'm the right person for this role, or at least not now, or we need to restructure so I have some help, whatever. It doesn't always have to be you coming in as the boss to say, hey, I think you're underperforming. Oftentimes, the underperformer knows they're underperforming, right? They're not, they're not sleeping at night. They're losing weight. They're stressed. They're frustrated. They're behavior is different, right? Whatever it might be, but you know something is happening with them. And I tell this to clients I work with all the time that when they go to speak to somebody who is underperforming, not every time, but more often than not, that person knows it. They know that there's a challenge or something's happening that isn't right. And it's hard for them. And this is where bravery comes in to admit it, 
and say, you know, if you came to see me, Kurt, to tell me I wasn't doing a good job, you know, the first thing I'm going to do is, that, yes, you're right, I'm terrible, but you know, I'll probably get a little defensive or argumentative because I'm bringing that baggage of experiences that we have shared, right? But it sounds like it's important to do. And then the second thing that you mentioned that is important to point out is that if you have somebody who is underperforming and you're not being brave at work to say something to them, you start becoming part of the problem, right? They're going to say, well, why haven't you... Ed done something all this time and let Mike flounder and not do a great job because we all know he's failing and no one does anything about it. And so why didn't you do something about it? And I would tell you, and while I don't know that I have an entrepreneurial spirit, I wouldn't want that baggage, right? I wouldn't want to be perceived as complicit in the poor performance that you're doing in at work. That's exactly right, Ed. And one of the things that I have coached entrepreneurs through as they're having these challenges is, look, at some point, your team is doubting you as a leader. So you're going to start losing your A players. And sure, you're going to save, quote, save your relationship with Mike, but you might bring down the company. And that's not a place any of us want to be. Right. And I, I would imagine if you are coaching leaders, Kurt, that sometimes some of the hardest things to say is, I, I don't know that I would say it this way, but the underling is, are you the problem, right? Are you the one causing these issues with people, turnover, you know, arguments, challenges, you know, whatever it might be because of the way that you're leading and, you know, hanging on to people who you're beholden to who may not be effective in their role? It's funny you said that, Ed. The appendix to the book is a, a chapter entitled, When You're the Problem. And it's uh, <laughs> maybe the prelude to a second book, but essentially it's, it's exactly that. You are the problem. No matter what type of amazing talent we as Hire Better can recruit for your team or any other recruiter or what have you, if you are set in your ways and you can't get out of your own way, you're going to lose that person too. And you're going to continue in this cycle that's uh, bringing you problems. I think it would be the a great topic for your next book, Kurt, is you are the problem. Because oftentimes, while you might not be the source of the problem, you're facilitating it or you're complicit in it because of how you're behaving and acting and not being brave. I want to talk a little bit about another area that I think require people to be brave, which is during recruitment. And you, for some crazy reason, bought a recruitment agency. So I'd love to know what it is about the agency that intrigued you enough to buy it and then in what, you know, not 20 reasons, but your top couple of reasons of why you're so challenged by the recruitment industry. Yeah, the recruitment industry is broken for mainly what's called the contingent recruiting market, which is how most middle market entrepreneurial companies are served. That means you don't pay the recruiter until they provide a body and it just misaligns incentives. As recruiters are very salesy trying to get you to buy on their and their candidate as soon as humanly possible. Any candidate you bring to the table as a, as a client is not going to be a good fit because they don't get paid for for those folks. It's just a misalignment all across the board. So it's all about sales and, and commissions. The reason I bought a recruitment firm is because I feel like the biggest thing these entrepreneurs need besides capital is talent. And uh, the reason I'm so passionate about what I'm doing with these early stage companies is most recruiters are just about filling a chair what do I need today? What do I think I need? And I think that most of them have to assess their existing team to see what puzzle piece is missing. And that's what we do is help you determine what's missing. How can we find the right person that's a good fit for where you are now? Do you work with clients? I know you're, you have a CEO now who is operating the firm, but I'm just curious, Kurt, do you work with clients? And if you do, 
what opportunities for bravery do they have? Because I believe in the recruitment industry, and again, we could talk through a whole nother podcast just on that industry, there are many opportunities for you to step outside of how you are, how you behave, to be brave, to say and do and pursue things that, you know, uh, normally you wouldn't want to do or need to do, right? So, you know, what experiences or perspectives could you share with our listeners that reflects bravery at work? Well, the biggest one is one you just described. I stepped aside and brought in a new CEO because I felt like Cisco would be better at that than me. I'm good with clients. I'm good with writing a book and, and what have you. But uh, running a business and managing the P&L, even though I'm a CPA by trade, I, I don't enjoy it. I'm not that good at it. And that was a brave decision to bring in somebody else and, and step aside. So that's one thing. The thing that most of our clients, I think, can learn to do is recognizing their weaknesses, being humble enough to understand where they're challenged. I, I ask all of our clients to go through what I call a highest and best use exercise. What can only you do that you love to do that provides amaz- amazing value to your company? Focus on those things. All the other things stop. For example, I'm not a good recruiter either. I love everybody too much. I want to hire everybody that comes through the door. And so I tell the team, I'll only look at them after they've been through your vetting process and you guys are super stringent. So I get to just you know promote our mission and our vision and talk about core values and all that good stuff. And don't, don't ask me to decide whether Ed's a good candidate or not, because I'm fine. I'm going to find a way to like it. Yeah. And look, I'd love to spend for a couple of minutes, Kurt, talking about this decision you made. And I'm not sure if the right term is step aside or transition to a new role, but that is not something many leaders do. Uh, They either get forced to move, right, because they're no longer as effective as they need to be in an organization. You know, what led you to that decision? Was it capitalistic where it was starting to become a problem financially or, you know, from a fiduciary perspective? Was it personal? I mean, what led you to say, you know, I want to move out of this role and find somebody who's way more effective and better at this than I am? I'm going to give you two answers. The the first one is what I tell everybody. So keep this. uh, This is for a public market. And that is that simply I wanted to focus on the things that I'm good at and that I enjoy doing. And, And Cisco is better at that than me. And I think that's mostly the, the, the right answer. The secret answer that I don't really probably talk about very much is I just wasn't having very much fun being the guy that everybody went to for all the bullshit involved in running a business. Whenever the bank wanted to talk to somebody, I want to talk to the CEO. I'm tired of talking to the bank. You know, the employee is mad because their you know, vacation didn't line up with whatever. I want to talk to the CEO. No, talk to Cisco. I'm out of this business. I'm, I'm, I'm the co-founder now. We don't have a board, so I couldn't be chairman of the board, so I'm a co-founder. Got it. Well, I appreciate you sharing those perspectives because, again, uh, in my experience, and I do leadership coaching, so I'm typically brought in to help in a situation where somebody is not as effective as they need to be or are successful and want to grow that success to new levels. And uh, it's just not been my experience that there are many Kurt Wilkins out there who say, you know, I don't know that I'm enjoying this. And, in fact, there's a term for it which is called uh, founders, I can't remember what the second term founders is. Founders trap? Yeah, the founders trap, right? Where the founder of the company is now CEO and they're horrible. They were fantastic at finding it and developing the idea. That was where all their strengths were. But now they have all these complexities and they have finance and marketing and legal and right. And they're just not great at it, but they won't leave. They won't go and the board can't get rid of them, right? And they just are stuck. In, and I've, I've met and seen many of those people who operate in those capacities and just don't do what you did 
to say, I want to participate, but I want to participate in ways in which I can make a difference. They're their own mic, right? They are. <laughs> they are their own mic. So, Kurt, it has been great speaking with you today and sharing some of your experiences and observations. And if folks want to talk more with you or find out more information, how can they get that? Yeah, thanks, Ed. They can either go to hirebetter.com, H-I-R-E, better.com, or who'syourmic.com. We have a, a fun quiz for those of you who think you might have a mic or a Pipeline Paul or a Harry the Hustler, these other characters. It's who'syourmic.com slash quiz. Great. And again, the title of the book is Who's Your Mic? A No Bullshit Guide to the People You'll Meet on Your Entrepreneurial Journey. And I would suggest, and I haven't read the book, but I would suggest it's not just for entrepreneurs, that these are people who are at the Walmarts and General Motors of the world that have been around for, you know, 50, 100 years who are at a point in their career beyond their capabilities. I just did a podcast with The One Thing, and the two folks there are corporate guys and gals who who uh, did the interview with me and the, the entire time they're like, Oh my God, I saw that guy. I had that girl. You know, whatever. <laughs> so it definitely resonates for sure. Well, fantastic. Kurt, thank you so much for being a guest on be brave at work. And thanks again. And I again, appreciate what you're doing to make people braver, help them embrace bravery at work. Well, we're doing the best that we can. So thank you for your time today. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us today. And we hope you join us on our next podcast conversation as we further explore being brave at work. We also remind you to subscribe to our podcast at bebraveatwork.com and or download and listen to our podcast on multiple online platforms. We are everywhere. Our podcast today was sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies, whom you can reach at 800-222-5963 or visit them for more information at cabotrisk.com. And a reminder to check out my new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High-Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Own Success, which is available in paperback, on Kindle, and in audio everywhere online. Do you have something to say, yet are not saying it? Do you have something to do, yet are not doing it? Now is the time to be brave at work. Have a great week.